Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Erica. And I'm Allison. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. If you're enjoying Because the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, slash X, and now TikTok. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. And you can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Well, here we are again. Yeah, November continues to be a crazy month for Beatles fans. First the Now and Then single, the video, the documentary, quickly followed by the release of the remastered Red and Blue compilation albums. Insane. Yeah. And if you guys have missed our previous two episodes, you know, we did a breakdown on the Now and Then single. And then last time we talked to Giles Martin, the wonderful Giles came back and chatted with us about Now and Then and the Red and Blue. So please, please go check those out. Really, really proud of those. Let's talk about the Red Album. Let's let's go chronologically. The Red yeah. Album is The Beatles 1962 to 66. So good. And full disclaimer, going into this, I think we're both Red Album girls, right? Absolutely. 100%. And being Next Generation fans, this is one of those albums that we kind of think of as a standalone piece because it was something that we learned the Beatles on. Absolutely. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the track listing. So I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to go back and just figure out why we have these albums in the first place because they came out in 1973 and the early mid 70s was kind of a time when I don't know people weren't thinking being a Beatles fan was all that cool but then these massive albums came out so I was thinking why did they come out at the time that they did and there's actually a really interesting story behind this so in 1972 this New Jersey based company called Audio Tape Inc super creative name decided yes, that they're going to independently release this strange collection of 60 Beatles and post Beatles tracks. It was called the Beatles Alpha Omega, and it was available either in a four LP or four eight track set. So this album had super questionable song choices, really no thought to the flow of this album. Disc one, for example, starts out with that huge Beatles hit, Act Naturally. (laughs) Yes, number one, I believe, somewhere. And it includes Mr. Moonlight. And it does have standard hits, like I saw her standing there, and you know some of the ones that we would actually think would be on greatest hits. But it also includes this smattering of solo songs. Bangladesh is there. Imagine, maybe I'm amazed. And Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey. The mixes were not amazing. They were all sourced from the U.S. Capitol recordings. They were mixed by David Dexter. These feature extra reverb, less bass, and more compression. So you are not getting the best of the best when you buy these. So wait, Erica. So these actually came out? Because I've never, ever heard of this album. Yes, this came out. This was popular. Not only did it come out, but they advertised. These guys were super brazen. They put out TV and radio and print advertisement. The whole thing, the four-disc set, was only $13.95, which is a pretty good deal for a a four-record set. But, of course, the reason why it was such a good deal was because these dudes did not pay royalties. They just stole the music. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. So 
the federal copyright laws only applied to music that was created on or after February 15th, 1972. And that was the day that the Federal Sound Recording Amendment of 1971 was enacted. So for music before that time, it was subject to like individual states' laws on copyright, which is crazy. Apparently, go New Jersey, they were especially lax. And then restricting (laughs) the sales to mail order only further protected them from copyright lawsuits. And that makes sense because these print ads, yeah, that this company took out, says they say, as advertised on TV, I'd love to see the commercial for this crazy compilation. Oh, my God, me too. I mean, the cover's pretty cool. Like, the, it's really trippy. It almost looks like you're looking through, like, a lava lamp or something. It's got the Beatles' faces on it. Yeah, it's like the White Album posters or whatever, the photos that came with the White Album, but it's different colors for each Beatle. And they were so successful that they actually created two more compilation albums. You could order Volume 2, featuring real greatest hits like Tax Man and In My Life, but also featuring Why Don't We Do It in the Road, Come Give Me Dinah Hand. <laughs> The Lovely Linda and Crippled Inside. I feel like the first compilation, like the modern tracks, because those were all like hit potential, maybe not Bangladesh, uh, but the rest of them, it's like that would be a selling point at that time to get maybe amazed, imagine all of that on one compilation. That makes sense for those. I don't know about The Lovely Linda because it was like a 13 second song. I don't know why you make that choice. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is the length would save them from copyright, but they didn't seem to really give a shit about that anyway. So <laughs> they didn't at all. They didn't at all. There was also a second version, but oddly it was also called Volume 2. And it had a slightly <laughs> different playlist with some repeats from the other versions, a few new songs sprinkled in. It would also be unclear when you ordered this what kind of shape you would get it in. Some people got a color cover. Some people got black and white Xerox covers. Some people got records or A-tracks that were very clearly a tape of a tape of a tape of a tape. Amazing. Well, I can't imagine the Beatles were happy about this. Oh, uh-uh. Beatles were having none of this, especially George. You think George Shock. doesn't like the tax man? He's not going to let a couple of fools from New Jersey with a Xerox machine <laughs> and an track player usurp his royalties. Hell no. So in one of the better things that he did, then Beatles manager Alan Klein filed a lawsuit on behalf of George Harrison, Capital, and Apple for $15 million. While the details of the settlement are unknown because some of the court documents are missing, which really sucks. I would have loved to read those. Totally. Right? The lawsuit meant both the end of the Alpha Omega series and the birth of the Red and Blue albums. Just one side note on the lawsuit, though. One thing we do know is that they named all of the magazines and the the TV stations that played and posted these advertisements as, like, (laughs) co-conspirators. Oh, my God. But they were dropped from the lawsuit if they agreed to never publish this advertisement again. So this is kind (laughs) of the end of Audio Tape Inc., But what Alpha and Omega's popularity did do was identify this desire in the market for Beatles retrospective albums. And so in 1973, a year after the lawsuit, EMI issued double LPs for both 1962 to 1966, the Red Album, and 1967 to 1970, the Blue Album. And just to make it perfectly clear, all of the promos said that these albums are the only authorized collection of the group's music. (laughs) 
There we go. <laughs> okay, where the sun don't shine, Alpha and yeah. Omega. <laughs> I actually found a, an ad for it on YouTube, and they're really explicit about that. Oh my gosh, awesome. We'll post that. Back to Alan Klein. This was one thing that he was actually pretty good at, was making these track lists. He did the Rolling Stones' greatest hits album, too, which was also a really good mix of things. Rocks. Yeah. That's also, yeah, that's a banger from start to finish. So we hate Alan Klein, but mm, that was, yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good. He made a great wide ranging list of tracks with some deep cuts thrown in, not just all the top tens. The album art was so inspired that they found the photos of the Beatles looking down from that stairwell in the EMI building seven years apart, both taken by the same photographer, Angus McBean. And as we said before, these albums still stand as many next-gen fans' intros to the band, including Giles Martin. Yes, as we talked with him about. Yeah, he actually said he probably knows the running order of the Red and Blue albums better than he knows the running order of the actual Beatles-released albums. Yeah, I think that goes for a lot of us that we're sort of, we cut our teeth on these albums. Absolutely. Yeah, so it was huge success. Some people were not terribly impressed with this. Their names were John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and George Harrison. They didn't love this. Uh, John pretended not to care. John said, they sent me lists and asked for my opinion, but I was busy at the time. Paul was also very nonchalant about it. He said, I didn't take an awful lot of interest in them, actually. I still haven't heard them as of 1974. (laughs) George's one comment was, it seems incomplete. Yeah, no shit. If you're George, you're really fucking incomplete. That sounds very, <laughs> uh, yeah, apt for George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the albums came out April 2nd, 1973. And on that day, that same day, John and Yoko were in New York City doing a press conference, ironically announcing that they were finally firing Alan Klein. <laughs> <laughs> the timing, you could not ask for better. I have very few good things to say about Alan Klein, but I'm going to give him credit for these, both of these albums. They were masterpieces. I mean, they were really designed to suck the casual fan or a new listener into this endless vortex of Beatles obsession. Like all the elements were there, you know, first they were big. I mean, you got a lot for your money. These two neat matching packages full of a lot of songs. They were a mix of, like I said, both the deep cuts and the big hits. So it kind of keeps people interested, not bored, kind of exploring new things. Um, Rob Sheffield wrote a great article about the 50th anniversary of these albums earlier this year. And he said this about the mix on the track list. Uh, He says, nobody has ever explained how the hell this happened. Sorry. (laughs) I don't care what a clever contrarian you are or how big a ride or die George slut you are. Old Brown Shoe (laughs) is not one of your 54 favorite Beatles songs and we both know it. But who cares? It sounds great. And if you're one of those people who has a problem with Octopus's Garden making the cut, you're a drag. A well-known drag. I mean, George slut, I'm going to incorporate that into everyday language. Forever. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another reason that this album is perfect in the way it kind of drags you in is that it has printed lyrics for all of these songs. What new fan wouldn't open up the lyrics to I Am The Walrus and just study them forever? 
It's great. <laughs> yes. And probably this was, unless you were maybe a member of the fan club in the early, you know, in the original days, maybe the first time you're reading those lyrics. Mm-hmm. Sgt. Pepper had the lyrics, but not all of the albums had them. So it was right. definitely new. And there were debates. Was it I Can't Hide or was it something else? Like people would be confused about them. And then finally, the cover photography. It's so interesting to look at them because people don't usually change that much in seven years. And it, it says a lot about yeah. what the Beatles went through over the course of their careers. And it's so prescient that they did that. I mean, how perfect was it that they did that photo shoot at all seven years apart? You know, it was meant to be for these albums. It was just too perfect. And so let's move on and talk about the new mixes. We have 21 new tracks added to the playlist and the total song count now is at 75. One of those tracks, of course, is Now and Then. And we have a more diverse track listing, especially on Red. A lot of George tracks were integrated, uh, which is great because it was writing a wrong, you know, mm -hmm. where George said it was incomplete. Maybe now it's a little bit more complete. One of the puzzling things that we'll get to in a little bit is it includes a number of covers. So, of course, they were hits at the time. You know, they were on the Beatles albums and they were by artists the Beatles admired. They loved Smokey Robinson, the Miracles, Chuck Berry, you know, those kinds of artists. But it's very interesting that those were the choices for these compilations. And so every track on this is newly mixed. Some on the Blue Album, which we'll talk about next time, they go back to the 2015 re-release of the One Album. A lot of them came from the Revolver, Get Back, Let It Be, Super Deluxes and Deluxes and remixes of last couple of years. However, the one great thing about the Red, and it's pretty groundbreaking actually, is using the technology that's only been available since last year, um, the last couple of years with the Get Back bonanza to separate and then remix the songs and that provides you know the same contemporary mix being created today because you know a lot of those tracks um in the early days were bounced down and in some cases like totally mixed together for an example she loves you that was totally mixed down the master tapes were lost and so being able to you know break that down to individual tracks for the vocals the each instrument is incredibly groundbreaking of course, you can stream it on Spotify or Apple Music, and the Apple Music offerings include the Atmos. You can choose the original playlist, which is the LP, and a bonus disc for the new songs, or the CD versions uh, where the new songs are woven into the original track listing. And speaking of the track listing, here we go. All right, let's start off with our track by track. Number one, we've got Love Me Do. Love Me Do has never been my favorite Beatles song. I don't think it's a lot of people's favorite Beatles song. But I do think that there's something astounding about this mix. The way the parts are separated in your ears, even in the stereo mix, it does feel like you're actually in the room with them. You can kind of feel the room itself. There's like this little reverb on the hand claps. Paul's bass especially, it kind of sounds like an upright bass sometimes. And you can even hear him playing it like you can hear him striking the note the note being played and then his finger releasing from it it's so specific and it's the kind of thing that you you never think that you can hear 
I, um, here's the thing. I, (laughs) I'm going to go on a limb here. I don't love this mix. I think it sounds, the first time I heard it, um, when the harmonica comes in right away, it reminded me of those like homegrown recordings that Beatles tribute bands make, which I hope doesn't come off as too savage. My second and third and fourth listen, I've, I've kind of warmed to it a little bit. I can't fault them really, because here's the thing. On the original Red, it was in mono. And the reason is because they don't have, obviously, stereo tracks. They didn't have the stems. They didn't have the breakdown of the instruments. And in fact, the master tapes were lost. So all we have, including this mix, was cut from a, just a pristine vinyl copy of the song. However, saying I don't like it because I think it sounds hollow, or something. Hmm. I do love how clearly you can hear the acoustic guitar and of course the bass, but I think overall, this is something that I feel about the Red Album in particular, is the acoustic guitar, I think is the instrument that benefits the most from these remixes. I wonder if the hollowness that you feel is almost, if you're taking something like Love Me Do that it's not going to have a lot of stems and you pull it apart and you kind of deconstruct it, you almost do have like a hole in the middle. And for me, when Mm. I listen to it, I almost feel like that's the hole where like I'm sitting in the middle of the room and these things are around me. Oh, I like that. But there is a hole. There is a hole. And especially if you're listening to a mono, there's no holes. You know, you're hearing just a blast. So I think it's a totally different way to hear it on these earlier tracks. Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe I'll try to see it more in that light. You don't have to like them. Yeah, I don't, but <laughs> but I do, but I do like that point. So to your credit, I, I think that is a really nice way to look at it. That that hole is filled by the listener. I doubt that that was the intention. One thing that that Giles has said to us is that he doesn't want people to hear the mixes. He wants people to hear the song. But it's yeah. really hard to not hear the new mix when it's this so different from what you've been hearing your whole life. So. Maybe we hear the song yeah. later on down the road when we get used to it, but I'm hearing the mix and I'm enjoying hearing the mix. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, we're not the typical listener, right? Like we have a fucking Beatles podcast. So of course I'm going to pick <laughs> these apart, you know, like everybody's been doing on the internet, like Steve Hoffman forums. Hello. Like this is why we're here. This is why you're listening to us. Cause we're going to like deconstruct this crap. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and let's move on with the deconstruction. Next up, please, please me. Okay, so we move on from my least favorite to one of my most favorites. I love this so much. This is one of the ones I mentioned to Giles when we talked to him. This one was also originally mono on the Red album. And I love the commands. First of all, George and Paul's harmonies are so distinct and cool. You can really hear the two of them very distinctly. And um, let's just talk about John's vocals throughout the song. He's almost growling. And of course, we've always heard that on the track, but it's like, for some reason, more pronounced. You can really hear the, uh, the, the gravel quality in his voice. And I really, really loved 
the final ooh right before that when the instruments drop out. And I've noticed on a lot of these recordings that the weird splicing is gone throughout the mixes we've had in the past. There's always been some weird moments where there's splices or you can tell the tapes were cut together. And so they've removed that here and it sounds fucking great. I feel the same way about the harmonies. The ones that I really noticed were the harmonies at the very beginning. Last night I said these words where they're dissonant with each other. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was especially affecting the way their voices kind of bounced off one another. I thought George here was also a huge standout. You could hear, just like with Paul's bass and Love Me Do, you could really hear a person, George, playing his strings. It's funny, though. I had a bit of an opposite feeling about John's voice. I felt like his voice in this particular (laughs) one sounded a little bit too far back compared to the other ones. Like the harmony was too loud and he was a little bit buried at times, especially on the bridge. But I will say, I started to feel like I want to scream, like in the way that they screamed <laughs> in 1964. Like, oh, I want to scream. Like it, it engenders that feeling. Like you, you want to scream a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's got a high energy to it, which I think is really cool. And it's especially awesome because it's breathing that into Please Please Me, which I don't know, like it was never one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I really, really like that song. But this is like when I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is so good. I really wish one thing we had, and I know we don't, but is how the Beatles originally conceived Please Please Me. Because if you've heard the stories, Paul and John brought it in much slower and more bluesy. And George Martin heard it. He's like, no, 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 no. Let's, Let's speed this thing up. And, you know, it becomes this banger. But can you imagine what it would have sounded like? I can't, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. And I'm sure somebody on YouTube has done it or somewhere, but I just, yeah, I can't ever picture it in any way, shape or form other than this one. Okay. Number three, I saw her standing there. One, two, three, five. So this one was a new addition to Red. It's interesting to hear these songs out of order in the playlist. It's a little jarring if you're expecting something else. (laughs) It's really weird. (laughs) Buy the LPs if you don't like that because you can avoid it. Um, But again, it was sort of the same thing when you separate all the parts and deconstruct it and then you reconstruct it. New things stand out the way the rhythm of the hand claps drive the song, the bass line, but like the guitar riffs that were kind of buried in the mono mix before are out there a lot more, especially on the bridge. And then the other thing I noticed was the fade out the end seemed a little more abrupt, which I I don't know Hmm. why. I feel like you don't, you know, Giles doesn't really mess with what was on the original, but it just felt different. I thought overall it sounded definitely updated, clearer, Um, And this was one of the ones that the internet has sort of said it's changed for the better. You know, there are George sluts. I'm like a hand clap slut. Like I love hand claps. (laughs) And so I feel like those are much crisper, which makes sense. They get pretty much their own channel and the right channel. And I thought the reverb on George's solo was so good. It reminded me of like a Link Ray quality. And for a lot of these, I went back and listened to the 2009 mixes. I didn't notice it quite as much. So I thought that was really cool. I think George would have really 
appreciated that because you know he was such a fan of that kind of uh you know raunchy and that kind of uh, uh repertoire and one more note on this is another weird edit is gone before the final strums so that is great they really really smoothed that out i think that where in previous Giles mixes, I think we've kind of snickered a little bit that, you know, the bass and the drums are really prominent. I wonder why. But yeah, in right. this one, I think George really shines all the way through. Yeah. And I think that might be true for a lot of them, like especially the early tracks, you know, where he's playing his Gretsch and it's really like kind of in the pocket of what they would have played live. I think it, it sounds great. So next up is good old Twist and Shout. Now, this is the first one we hear that's a cover. Yeah, first cover, uh, new edition. And I literally just wrote in my notes, holy shit, John, pop off, King. Right. <laughs> I mean, because it's just, you know, his vocals again, like, you know, please, please me for me. They're just so, so great. I love the crisp guitar notes. And also, I think the harmonies on this track are just like velvet. They feel so good. They sound just perfect. This is another one where I really felt like you're in the middle of the room. And I kept seeing the way this day played out in my mind that John was really sick and he was taking throat loss and just all day. And they only had this one day to record the whole album and twist and shout was last. And he had one try and he ripped up his voice and this was it. And it was like perfect. And you could just yes. hear that rawness. So great. And next up from me to you. This is one where I really noticed Ringo's drumming as kind of the driver. Moving a song from the chorus and the middle eight and back again really seamlessly with his drum fills, and they were really prominent in this mix. Now, did it bother you that this <laughs> this got moved from its spot after Please Please Me? Like, weren't you waiting for, for me to you to kick in? I didn't like that at all. I didn't like it all the way through. I didn't like it. So. <laughs> I know the one that got me so much was after all my loving. Like I was like, okay, can't find, can't find me love. And I yep, was like, what the yep, fuck? Yep, yep. Roll over Beethoven. <laughs> it's so funny. Just have to address that for those uh, red and blue album kids. But yeah, this one was also originally mono on the red album. And I felt like the beginning kind of hits you like a slap in the face. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> I <laughs> do think a couple of these tracks the beginning and this could just be my ears you know um i do have a bad ear not to brag um but <laughs> i i think some of these come in a little shrill and again it could be like because i blast it in my ears because again like i don't give a shit about my hearing but this one i can't decide if it's a good or a bad thing that it comes in so strong but i will say one thing that stood out to me was on the break the bass sounds freaking gnarly in a really good way it really highlights how good these guys were. After those stints in Hamburg, like, they were amazing. 
totally. And, you know, you highlight Ringo's drumming. It's like, dude, rhythm section, come on. Obviously, Paul and Ringo are approving these mixes now, but it's incomparable. Maybe the the bass or the drum is brought out or whatever, but it's brought out because it's incredible. So next up, She Loves You. Oh. She Loves You. So this one is a really controversial track. And a lot of it is because this is the first time we're getting a true stereo mix. And the reason for that is because the master tapes like Love Me Do were lost. So in the past, we've gotten mixes from later mono generations of tapes. So needless to say, on the original Red album, it was in mono. And the reason why we have this true stereo mix now is because Peter Jackson's Mal machine made it possible to separate all the tracks and to reassemble them in a remix. So that is why people are really divided on this track. You know, some people say it sounds too, too cleaned up, you know, too enhanced, too digitized, and then a little bit distorted. I think that's because some of the past hissing and splices in this one that we're so used to hearing that our ears sort of expect are fixed. So mm-hmm. I went back and listened to the one version and the past masters, and I love past masters. It is one of my favorite things in the whole world. And to be honest on this, I think I do prefer the mono version. Um, I like the stereo mix. I like this, you know, remix by Giles, but I I don't know. I just love a mono. It's just grittier. It feels just like you're in a friggin' club, you know, with the Beatles. But I will say I loved the Tom Toms. They really brought out those Tom Tom mm. drums. And yeah, I'm very much on board with them fixing those annoying edits. <laughs> Again, you know, yes, we're used to hearing certain tracks drop off but it's kind of nice to have that clean yeah he doesn't do away with imperfections like if someone made a mistake it, the mistake is still yeah. there they're not using other tracks but it's nice to get rid of the things that were like that's just an error that could be fixed that has nothing to do with how the beatles originally intended the song to be yeah i think they do a good job walking that line i think this more than any of the other ones it felt like there were issues with the actual stems, like they didn't feel as clear. And I think that might just be because sometimes you can only get out what you have, like you can't enhance something any more than you already have it. And I feel like there was a little bit more muffly feeling on the vocals where some of the other ones, you hear John very clearly on your right and you hear Paul very clearly on your left. And this one you kind of still had that feeling that instead of being next to you, they were sort of in front of you, like, you know, a couple of feet away. Okay, interesting. I don't think it was something that they could help. I think Giles did the best that he could with what they have right now, because this song to me did sound markedly different from the other ones. Yeah. And there's no other reason for that other than they had something slightly different to work with. It's interesting that you say that it sounds muddy and muffled because that is one of the biggest things online is people saying that it sounds too clear, you know, and it sounds kind of like maybe there's too much high end is the only thing I can think of, you know, where it's not balanced with the low end. I don't really get that from it, but that's definitely something that is super debated online right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll leave it to the Steve Hoffman forums to like talk about exactly why things are the way they are. Sorry. Yeah, I am not an audiophile. I really am not. I don't care, you know, quite frankly, about audio. But I think because we're talking about the audio, it is kind of fascinating to pick it apart like this. For me, at least, I still do like the depth that you hear in this compared to some of the other stereo mixes. I'm not talking about the mono mix because I actually really do like a mono mix, but I don't like older stereo mixes. So compared to those, this is really interesting that you can kind of hear how the different instruments flow in and out from one another and understand how they contribute to the whole. Yeah, totally. And that's a credit to this being the first true stereo mix of this song. So I'm personally very grateful to have it just for that historical reason alone. Yeah, maybe one day somebody will find that master tape, you know, in an old trash can in the basement of Abbey Road Studio. You know, who knows? (laughs) Again, God, root through your grandparents' attic, guys. Let's do it. Someone's got to have it. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere, right? Okay, next up, I want to hold your hand. It's such a feeling that my love I can hide, I can hide, I can hide Yeah, you got that something I think you'll understand When I say that something It will never be on my top list of Beatles songs, but It was really hardcore. It was really driving. John's rhythm guitar, which we hardly ever talk about, was really prominent. You just feel like this is what it was like when they were performing. They had so much fun. You can't really hear most of their in concert. So you kind of get a little bit of that, like what that magic was back. So my only note I had for this is, unfortunately, what I said before about from me to you was I just felt like the high harmonies were a little shrill. But again, you know, it could be my ears. It could be the fact that I was blasting it. So that could be my problem. Otherwise, I thought it was great. <laughs> I feel like maybe in Please Please Me, the way the harmonies are with the dissonance, it's kind of the same thing that however the two stems were brought out, that there's something that maybe rubs against each other in their harmony and some of the higher harmony. And it's, it's much clearer here. You can hear it if you're sensitive to it. Yeah. And I think the point of these mixes is to make them more acceptable for younger ears. As Giles has said, like they want it to be put on a playlist, you know, beside Dua Lipa. And I think that's kind of a symptom of new mixes by newer artists is the high end is a lot greater than the low end. So, you know, it could be just that I am a little aged out of that. That could be. Where my tastes differ. Yeah, you just have a different preference. So next up we have this boy. Let's take a little listen. I just can't with this one. I can't. <laughs> I, can't. I know. Uh, Eric Eric and I were texting when we were listening to this for the first time. And she's like, I had to get up and walk away. <laughs> like, this is already one of my favorite Beatles songs ever. It's so perfect. I don't even know. Like, it's so perfect. It's hard to listen to sometimes. <laughs> just every part of it. 
you can hear each of the three singers' unique voices and phrasing, yet it comes together perfectly and seamlessly in the opening. And then you get John's middle eight, and he is just soaring. Perfection. Oh, my God, there is nothing better. I had a note at 128 after John's cry. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to do it because nobody can do it like John. But uh, again, like I'm like on splice patrol here, I guess. But there was always that weird splice <laughs> where it obviously cut the tape after that. And that's gone now. So yay, snaps. <laughs> Making it more perfect. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I think something about John, and I noticed this when we were listening to the cut from the Red Album in the listening event in Dolby Atmos, I noticed just how unaltered John's voice is when you hear it in these mixes. And I thought about it, and I thought about the fact that Revolver and later, especially really Sgt. Pepper and later, John was always looking for ways to alter his voice. And in the early songs, he did not do that. So we're kind of hearing these demixed versions of John's naked, actual voice it's different from what we hear in those later mixes, and it's it's just gorgeous. Yeah, John was his own worst critic always, and it's really unfortunate because he was so brilliant, and he had such a distinctive, beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. Like, this is just letting him shine in a whole new way. So next up, one of my favorites, All My Loving. Close your eyes. Obviously, this is going to surprise no one, but I had a note here. The bass is better balanced in the mix, which is great. This is one of Paul's best walking bass lines of all time, I think, in this song. But I have always thought it was a bit heavy handed. I thought it was much better balanced in this mix. You mean they pulled back on the bass? <laughs> that was my mixes? thought, which is crazy town. I realize that. Maybe because they pulled back on the bass, but I also felt that the guitar, which is really fast, was much more prominent and more interesting to hear, too. How did you feel about the harmonies on this one? Because I had a note about the harmonies on Tomorrow I'll Miss You the second time, which is much higher than the first time. Did it bother you? No, it definitely didn't. I felt like this felt really lush, like the mix overall on this track. It blended in really well. Next up. Brand new one, cover song, Roll Over Beethoven. This is the first George song ever on Red, and it's still number 10. So it still took a little while, (laughs) but uh, it's a cover. It's one of those ones that I think George just loved to show off on. It's got an amazing guitar part, and I think you can really hear how high energy it was, how much fun they're having. I was so expecting After All My Loving to go into Can't Buy Me Love. That was a bit jarring, Um, Mm. but this begins a pair of covers, like Erica said, on the Red. It's... A strange choice for me, 
It makes sense, Erica, when you say this is one that George loved to perform. I'm sure Olivia had a big old input on which George songs got put on here. So I trust that. Mm-hmm. I, I love Roll Over Beethoven, but I sort of wish we would have gotten like Don't Bother Me or, you know, original George composition on this set, especially since, you know, like like you said, it digs into the deep cuts. Like, let's have a deeper George cut from this era. But I totally agree on the high energy. I thought the hand claps were really good. You know, I, again, mm-hmm. love a hand clap. And I think it was a fun, like, sort of restorative party vibe. Yeah. And again, Splice Patrol, <laughs> they fixed the weird <laughs> splice before the final note. So thanks for that. And next up, we're still in our cover land, but we're bringing it down. Because you really got a hold on me. You do me wrong now. My love is strong now. surprised me its presence on red yeah same i think because not only was it a cover but it was a cover that was kind of out of character from the other covers that the beatles usually did like it's kind of cool and sexy and not totally beatles the thing that stood out to me so much about this mix was the piano i think that was really something that i hadn't focused on before um, but i thought it sounded sounded great Yeah, it was really a perfect performance. So next up, finally, we get to Can't Buy Me Love on this lovely reconfigured track list. Tell me that you want the kind of things the money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. It took some time, but it was so worth it. (laughs) I agree. I thought George's guitar strum sounded so much sharper. I also noticed for the first time the drum flams on this, Mm -hmm. like the butta, 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 and it added so much to the song. Yeah. And Paul's voice was so clear. It's like everything was more. And in this case, more was more. Totally. I agree. Next up, you can't do that. So this is another addition we've got to this track list. Weird. I don't know. I thought it was weird. (laughs) Maybe because it was not in the original playlist, it felt out of sync. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, growing up in the culture of Beatles tribute bands, I feel like a lot of them tap into this song and I always enjoy it. I did have a little bit of a problem though with it because it buried my beloved cowbell in some of the parts, including the breakdown, would you call it, where they just repeat, you can't do that over and over. Mm -hmm. I was like, where's my cowbell? And then it came back in, you know, on the chorus or whatever the, I guess the closest we get to a chorus. But I was like, oh, I definitely missed it. Oh, I'm sorry you missed your cowbell. I did. I was glad to hear it come back. I think you'll find your cowbell in the next song, A Hard Day's Night. It's been a hard day's night. 
So, of course, we have to start off the cord. The cord. It's everything. It's there. It's huge. Maybe we can finally figure out what it is. Right? (laughs) I felt like this was one where it really did what Giles was setting out to do. It felt very contemporary in a way I've never really thought about the song before. I agree. The thing that stood out for me the most were the bongos. That was exciting because, you know, the bongos are such a big part of that A Hard Day's Night soundtrack. But like, come on, how many rock songs had bongos? Right. And I thought the cowbell that was so lacking in the last song was really loud in this one. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) That makes me happy. Just a note, the bongos in this one, this is not played by Ringo. This was actually played by engineer Norman Smith. Ringo apparently just couldn't get the hang of how fast this was. So so he did it. It was the only time Norman Smith ever played on a Beatles song. Wow, I didn't know that. And wow, we finally found something Ringo can't do percussion-wise, which is shocking. Betty can do it now. It's like, I'll show you. It's true. Again, it's another screamer. Like, they almost sound like they're unhinged when they scream going into the, the solo. <laughs> it's great. are like a little bit demented, and we yeah. love it. So next up, we bring it down with And I Love Her. She gives me no notes for this erica i i thought it was great can you improve on perfection i think you can and they did it's all perfect (laughs) paul's voice is perfect the bongos are perfect the acoustic is perfect the acoustic guitar this is one of those places where we talked about in the beginning where you mentioned that the acoustic guitar is a standout Mm -hmm. going into the second verse of this song it's kind of playing counterpoint to paul's voice it's so good it's always been a beautiful like lovey-dovey song Um, I think this just enhances that, like you said. Next up, we've got eight days a week. How'd you like that build-in? I love that build-in. It is one of my favorite elements of any Beatles song. And it really sets you up for a really banging track. So it just sounded even better. Giles does that really well. When you have a song that already kind of started with that, like I remember two of us. Oh, yeah. And it gave me the same feeling. Like he really knows how to build the anticipation. He just brings out something that is already there, but it, it makes it so much more powerful. I just got chills when you mentioned Two of Us, because I love that mix so much. And I know a lot of people didn't, but just the way it started off, Let It Be, oh my gosh, I uh, obsessed. So I could totally see the parallel here between that and Eight to the Week. Um, the harmonies, this was one where it felt very much like one was right behind you on your right, one was right behind you on your left, and you could <laughs> hear them both like individually and blended, but they were right there. I agree, I agree. And my... Main note on this was, again, love those hand claps. Like, Mm -hmm. hello. Can you enhance those even more? I love it. It's almost surprising if you look at all these songs at the same time, like how often they use that. 
It's true. No matter how much John made fun of it in a really offensive way in concert, they still, it was a very important <laughs> part of their musicality. We don't talk about that, Erica. We don't talk about, <laughs> we don't talk about John's problematicness in, in concert. So let's just move on. All right, next up, I feel fine. <laughs> was surprised by that first note it's so distinct obviously it's iconic i was surprised that giles did not pan that note between the right and the left channels like it sort of just sat in your right ear although i will say that showed great restraint so i admire it because <laughs> <laughs> i think that would be the natural inclination right is to pan that shit i'm wondering if because the feedback that they got out of the amp to make that sound it, it can't move because it's in a giant amp. I wonder if it's just like he thinks about how these things actually could move in space in a way. Yeah, that's possible. I could see that. All I know is that that feedback vibrates to the bottom of your soul in this mix, and it's it's a nice introduction. I felt in this case that the harmonies, again, were another standout. It reminded me of the thing that the mamas and the papas used to talk about, the Harvey effect, where there were their four voices, and then there was another thing which they called Harvey. And the thing was kind of the overtones and the way that the four voices melded together to create their sound. And mm -hmm. this song kind of has that. On top of that, the instruments were placed really well in your ears. It's like the guitar is kind of to the right and a little ahead of you and the drums are behind you. And you kind of get that feeling again of being in the center of a band. How did you feel about the fade out? Because I loved how they kept in the little like Paul's like whoops and the syncopated hand clappies and, you know, just little sort of remarks that they were making as the song faded out in the studio. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I like those. I generally don't love a fade out, but if we're going to have a fade out, I want to hear as much as I can. Yeah. And it's nice that you can hear it. Next up, Ticket to Ride. <laughs> I have to admit, I have always hated this fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> the final two songs on this are not my favorites, um, but this mix is amazing. It makes me like the song so much more. It's probably one of my favorites on the whole set. It really is. And this is one of the songs they played for us when we went to the Now and Then listening events. They played it in Atmos, and I was just bowled over. But even in these stereo mixes, it is perfection. As we're talking about the little imperfections that Giles left in the mix at 52 seconds, there's like a little ghosty sound, sort of the bottom of the left channel. And it was kind of in the other mixes, but it was kind of in the middle and it was sort of hidden in there, but I just loved hearing it. And also, damn, that droning bass sounds so good. I thought overall the song just sounded smoother. Yeah, it did. It was great. John's voice was so clear and perfect and... You know, again, you really felt the balance between 
John's lead and Paul's harmonies. I think it was mixed in a way where John is clearly the lead and Paul is behind him and his voice is just a little bit lighter. It's almost like he's actually standing behind John and it helped maintain the right balance, I thought. All right, and finally, we have Yesterday. Oh, I believe in yesterday, suddenly. I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. Why she had to go. So again, I will say I don't love this song, but the strings sounded amazing. I loved them. I didn't write much for this song, but I did write Hell Yeah, George Martin. That kind of says it all. Yeah. I mean, Paul's finger work on the guitar, you can hear it again on the first verse, which is totally acoustic. And then the strings come in so subtly, but at the same time, you get immersed in them almost immediately. And in the way different types of strings are heard in different sides and different parts of your ears. So again, hell yeah, George Martin. And I think there's some songs like like this one, you hear it so many times and it's so overplayed that it's like, okay, uh-huh, yesterday, whatever. So this is kind of <laughs> nice to hear it in a new way and appreciate why it's so overplayed. It's because it actually yes. has so many good things about it. Yeah, and of course it is the conclusion of disc one of the Red Album. And Erica, we're already, gosh, we've talked so long. We could talk forever about the Red Album. I know, I know. This is so long. We love Red. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to end it for now. And then we come back next week, we're going to do the second half of Red that we hadn't already covered on previous remixes and the songs on Blue that are new, which are actually quite fewer than the ones on Red because so many of them were already remixed that we think that that will make a good balance in time. Yeah be great so we'll see you next time for that and um thanks for hanging out with us for the first disc of the red album yes absolutely and thanks for listening to bc the beatles as always subscribe on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and give us a rating and review so other beetle maniacs can find us and you know what we always say that in the beginning and the end you know if you like it please do it really does help so much <laughs> it really does yeah we really appreciate it and, you know, please, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter slash X and TikTok. Please help us on TikTok. We just launched it. So and Erica is doing a bang up job with her videos. It's amazing. But I don't understand the algorithm. So please help us make it even. <laughs> Why is some get 30,000 views and some get 100? I don't get it. <laughs> we'll we'll think we're still feeling out the waters man we're we're working on it um but yes as always we'll be posting photos videos etc from this episode and beyond you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com as well and we will see you next time bye, bye.